Interstate Batteries offers a wide variety of batteries for your everyday needs. Stop into one of their thousands of retail locations and talk with a battery specialist about batteries for your truck, trail cameras, and even those weird batteries for your rangefinder. Interstate Batteries even offers cell phone repair in certain locations. For more information, visit interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. Welcome to the How to Hunt Deer podcast. This podcast series aims to educate those who are interested in becoming deer hunters or brushing up on essential skills and tactics. We cover a variety of topics that will help you become more confident and successful in the field while hunting deer. In this episode of the How to Hunt Deer podcast, I catch up with Jared Mills of Midwest Whitetail to talk about filming hunts. Jared has been filming hunts for over a decade, oftentimes self-filming, and he's recognized as one of the best in the industry. While Jared loves to hunt big deer, he is just as passionate about telling the story through the highest quality video possible. Throughout the conversation, Jared shares tips on equipment, setup, and lots of video 101. Whether you want to simply share your hunting experiences with family and friends or want broadcast level quality, there's something in this episode for you. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. All right, on the line with me today for this episode of the How to Hunt Deer podcast is Jared Mills from Midwest Whitetail. What's going on, Jared? Not much, man. I appreciate you having me on. Hey, I'm super thankful that you took the time to come on this podcast. I've been uh, watching you on Midwest Whitetail for years and have always been impressed by a, n- a number of things from you. Um, you know, you're able to get on deer, uh, big deer, and, uh, you know, you were one of the guys that I saw doing things like hanging hunts before it was cool. Uh, before before I saw a lot about it, I, I saw you, you know, filming yourself doing a hanging hunt and talking about, you know, gear and that kind of thing for hanging hunts. And so, yeah, I've been keeping up with you for years. So it's great to have you on uh, for this episode. Before we dive in, though, why don't you give the listeners a little bit of a hunter profile, maybe who you are, what you do, where you hunt, that kind of thing. Yeah, so like you mentioned, um, with Midwest Whitetown, have been for a long time. It's kind of been a crazy and fun journey. Uh, I'm now a part owner of Middle Whitetail, and I started as uh, basically one of the first interns way back in uh, 2010, so almost 12 years ago, which is crazy to think about. Um, but it's been cool to kind of have that revolving <clears throat> cycle of a journey to start as an intern and you know, stay involved this entire time. And, and now I get to kind of help grow the brand and direct it and manage it and all that. So that is my full-time job now is uh, managing Midwest Whitetail and our production company, 41 North Media. Um, I am located in Southeast Iowa. Most of the, most of the properties that I uh, help manage and hunt are within you know half hour of where I live. Um, I, I own one property that I bought <clears throat> with a partner back in 2017 uh, the rest are just permission properties. Um, I did pick up uh, my first ever lease this year, so that'll be kind of a fun little project. But uh, most of my hunting is here in southeast Iowa. I haven't done a ton of traveling historically. I've hunted a few different states, but um, it's hard to leave Iowa in the fall, obviously. <laughs> yeah, especially when you have three buck tags in your pocket, which I never fill three anyway. So it's... Uh, <clears throat> I'm pretty fortunate to to be in Iowa um, and have some of the properties I have access to. It's it's not been without a lot of hard work, obviously. People 
people that hunt permission properties, you know, it's a grind, especially today more than ever to find those and keep those and all that. But uh, it's, uh, I'm definitely in a good area. So very fortunate for that. Um, been bow hunting a long time. Uh, it's, like I said earlier, it's crazy to look back on how long that I've been doing the, the filming side of it. Um, but you know, growing up bow hunting, uh, it was kind of self-taught. My dad and grandpa were big influences on me as far as being outdoorsmen, uh, but they weren't big into the hunting side necessarily. More of small game stuff. They were really big into trapping, and those were some of my first memories of being in the outdoors is going to check trap lines with, uh, with both of them. And that's really what got me started and it, it grew from there and kind of got to do things a little bit backwards on a bow hunting side. Um, one really cool life experience for me was being able to get my dad into bow hunting and be with him when he shot his first deer with a bow. Um, so that was kind of cool doing maybe a little bit backwards, but that's something that's always a, a really cool memory to look back on for myself. And the bow hunting thing, it's just, uh, I tell people all the time, we live in a world where everyone's looking for that information and there's no shortage of it out there with all the shows and, you know, YouTube stuff and podcasts and everything. Everyone's looking for that information to make them a better bow hunter and, and learn at a faster rate. But to me, the number one teacher I can, I can point to and, uh, I still try to tell people today is the deer and the experience in the woods. You know, it's nice getting tips and pointers from, from whoever you look up to in the outdoor industry uh, and hunting industry, but there's no substitution for what the deer you're hunting can teach you. And I always encourage people to, to keep that in mind because that is the number one teacher for me. That's really what's made me into the hunter that I am today. And I still learn every single time out. So, uh, I, I tell people not to not to overlook that that aspect of learning. So it's been a fun journey, and and it's uh, obviously still very much in process for myself. I just try to have fun doing it. Try to refocus myself every every year to to not take that for granted and to to continue to keep it fun. It's always a little tricky mixing your career with your passion, and it can get uh, tough sometimes to, to keep that in perspective, but, um, that's my biggest goal anymore is to try to keep hunting fun and, and always keep that in perspective. So, uh, I said, happy to, happy to be joining you on the podcast for the first time and excited to get into the discussion today. Yeah. I, I want to circle back to something that you just said that is absolutely huge, especially for a podcast like this one, that's kind of geared toward, uh, you know, <clears throat> entry level, maybe a little mid-level uh, kind of tips and tactics kind of conversation. You you talked about how deer are the best teacher. And man, I tell you, a day with boots on the ground where you have an encounter with deer, not even necessarily a buck, but having have encounters with deer, watch what deer do when they're undisturbed and kind of just get a feel for what they're doing on your property at, at a specific time of year. That is one encounter like that or one day with encounters like that is worth a year's worth of listening to podcasts and watching videos. A hundred percent. And I think people forget that sometimes just because it, again, we have so much access to information and there's a lot of great teachers out there. You know, don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm not <clears throat> throwing out that, those out the window, 
Um, but those teachers aren't always the best example for your specific situation. You know, the deer on your property are a hundred percent the best example of what deer do. Um, <clears throat> deer, just because someone says a deer will always use a trail a certain way, well, that's not going to necessarily it may apply, but it, it, there's a good likelihood it doesn't apply to your property or how the deer use your neighborhood. Um, so just always keeping that in mind, I think is, is very, very important. And again, don't substitute these other things for time in the woods, go out and do a day of scouting rather than, um, I mean, both are good, but just don't use the, the digital world as a substitute for being out there. Yeah, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. You've heard the, the quote, probably everybody's got a plan until they get punched in the face. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. I, 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 I feel like that applies to, to, to what you're saying here in the deer world. Like everybody's got a plan yeah. until that buck steps out and having spent time in the presence of animals, having, you know, experienced what it's like to have something surprise you or step out and get your heart racing and all that kind of stuff. I feel like that's a huge part that you miss out on. If all you're doing is, uh, taking in digital content you miss that what it's like to be in the real world, experiencing it in the moment. And, you know, everybody's, everybody's got a plan and all the best made and best laid out plans uh, go to pot whenever uh, adversity hits you or whenever you get the, to where you're going and your stand was stolen or the buck steps out from a direction you didn't anticipate. Well, now all of a sudden you've got to fall back on something more than videos. Yeah, exactly. Real world, real world experience and, that punch in the face is the best way to learn. Again, we, we're talking about learning. You know, you're going to learn from that. It, that. That didn't feel good. You don't want to get punched in the face again <laughs> in that situation. So that's right. It's a uh, it, learning from failure is not just in deer hunting, but life in general is the best way to learn. And you know, I'll I'll take that to the grave just because I've experienced it so many times and have turned it into a positive learning experience so many times that I'm a full believer in. And that's the best way to learn. I mean, you don't, you don't want anything handed to you per se. It's a, it's a very temporary way of learning. In my opinion, I don't think it's the best way. And, uh, you just have to go out there and not be afraid to fail because you, you'll, you'll be able to take so much more away from an experience like that, that it'll be able to apply to future experiences and future things. Like I said, not just in hunting, but in everything you do. Yeah, well, one one aspect of uh, learning about hunting that I want us to dive into today is this piece about uh, filming your hunts. If you're, I mean, obviously yeah. you've been filming your hunts for a long time. How many years have you been filming? Uh, I started just shortly before I joined the display, so, so probably thirteen or 14, 14 years, probably. Okay, so it, you you've been you've been doing it for a while. And a couple of years ago, I was watching a video. I was watching a Midwest whitetail video and Bill Winky came on. He stepped out of his, uh, out of his shop, you know, like he would do a lot of times and, uh, he puts his arm up on the side of the shed and he says, uh, Jared Mills is one of the best I've ever seen at self-filming. And so I thought I've got to talk to Jared about self-filming because there, there's a <laughs> lot of guys out there right now who really want to get in to uh, self-filming, even if they're not going to upload their hunts, they love to share it with their family and friends. And I fall into that category. I, I started started doing some filming last year with turkey hunting, took that into the fall with me, and 
I've had such a great time bringing animals home and then showing my kids, look, let's see how this went down, especially with turkeys. Um, you know, I was able to do that multiple times last spring and then, you know, get to show them the video of how everything happened. Like that's such a special moment. And so I think there are a lot of guys interested in getting into that. And this, you know, coming alongside that technology is better now than it has ever been. You can get a pretty good, uh, pretty good filmed hunt from your cell phone at this point. Um, there are, there are camera arms made specifically for your cell phone. There's, you know, brands like Tacticam who are producing high quality cameras that fit right onto your bow that start recording at the click of a button. So there's a lot of great tools out there to use. So I want to dive into, um, into that piece of, of self filming a little bit. And maybe we could start by saying, Jared, how did you learn to film? Like what, what did your experience look like? Yeah. So you know, going back to what you said, I would, I would disagree with, with Bill statement. There's a lot of guys that are very, very good at it. But to me, it comes down to why you do it. And I, I get the question all the time of what advice do you have for someone that wants to get into filming or self-filming? And the first thing I will always say is decide why you're doing it. Because that really dictates on, on how you do it. You know, if you are wanting to you know, start a show or join a show or, you know, get enough experience to, to be a part of a brand or something. That's a whole different level than if you're wanting to just have something documented, like you said, to go home and share with family and friends. Um, and so it's all about your discipline level, especially when it comes to the shot. And so that's, that's the first question I would tell someone to ask themselves is why are you doing it? What is your goal with filming your hunt? I can tell you for myself, uh, I obviously, it's a big part of my job and I have a, I've developed a true passion for creating the highest quality video possible. To me, you know, I'm very motivated by challenges and everything I do. And to me, that's a very, very high level challenge because you're working with actors that don't cooperate in the deer. <laughs> and so you're yeah. always being put in situations where you don't know what's going to happen, but we are, we are guys internally, we talk about all the time. We are videographers first and hunters second. And that's a big difference between that and a guy that's really just wanting something to document and look back on and, uh, you know, sh- go home and share with family and friends. Um, you know, you, you gotta prioritize whether you want the camera to be first or, you know, the deer and the getting the kill. Uh, first and if the camera works out, the video works out great. You know, you gotta, you gotta answer that question for yourself. Wow, yeah. I got into it. I got into it. Um, kind of the same with the same line of thinking that you talked about. I saw right when I started taking a, just a little handy cam that recorded to recorded to like a DVD, a mini DVD disc. Um, and I, I found like a, and it was probably like a $10, mount for a camera on a stabilizer uh from ebay it was like the it was like the old 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 school tacticam before tacticam was a thing oh yeah um but i i got into it just because i saw like how cool it was to go home and show my dad exactly what happened rather than telling him what happened if i could go like dad check this out look what i saw in the woods today rather than trying to explain it to someone I, I saw early on how, how much cooler of an experience that was. 
and the fact that I can go back and relive it at any time. It took me a little bit longer to learn that lesson, but that's been something that's carried me through uh, <clears throat> for a long time. That That is ultimately the reason uh, having that document being able to relive each experience is the reason I'll continue to film for a really long time. It won't be because it's part of my business. It won't be for the attention. It won't be for being known as a TV guy. That I mean, all that stuff will be, or it's more likely to be a reason I walk away from from it than anything. But the the filming, just to have the documentation to be able to show family in future years or for myself to be able to relive it is the number one motivator for me to keep doing what I do on the filming side. And like I said, it, it has developed into a passion for trying to create the highest quality. I, I always prioritize the camera way over or way higher than the kill shot. Um, I could talk about countless examples of where bucks have got away because of the camera, but that's a decision that I made early on that, I'm going to prioritize the camera and that's not going to be the case for a lot of guys. I understand that. Um, which goes back to why I always tell people to ask themselves the question. If you're just getting into it. Ask yourself why you want to do it because that'll help dictate the process and what you need to do and, and where you need to have discipline with regards to your priorities. So, um, that's the reason I got into it. Like I said, is to, to be able to share it with family and friends and it's developed into a, a true passion of, of getting the best quality video I can. And that's obviously it's become a big part of my career naturally through that. I didn't, I didn't see it that way when I started. Um, I didn't expect that. Um, but I, you know, I, I think that that's been kind of the cool part of my journey is that it's just naturally developed into that. It was, I've, I never set out to be, um, you know, a face or a host of a show or anything like that. It just kind of all happened naturally and, um, maybe that's a little bit unique. Maybe not. I'm not sure, but that's kind of how it's happened for me. Yeah. I think that that's, that's huge. You know, as I've talked to, to some folks who have talked about getting into, uh, getting into self filming, I, I think a lot of, um, a lot of people just kind of assume that they're going to be able to jump right into it and, and make it happen. And, 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 and stay consistent, right? So I had an experience last year where um, I shot a buck and I did not have my camera focused on the deer because my why at this point is I'm trying to bring home something for my family and friends to share with people, right? To kind of show them the experience. And and I think a lot of folks jump in thinking that that they don't have to make the choice. You know, they just assume that, that they're going to be able to, you know, the deer's going to step out. I'm going to swing that camera around, boom, done. Um, but I've noticed in watching your videos and, and videos of others, you guys have a lot of encounters with deer that don't go, that don't go your way. That really should or could have been, uh, a chip shot if the camera wasn't there. Yeah. <clears throat> People don't realize how much has to go right for it all to be laid down perfectly on film. And that's exponentially higher if you're by yourself and don't have a cameraman, but even with the cameraman. It's, it's a completely different sport when you bring a camera to the woods and you're prioritizing the video. It's, I mean, it's, it's unbelievable how different it is. And that's probably, like you mentioned, something that people don't realize. So it's, uh, <clears throat> yeah, it, it, there's just a lot 
that can go wrong. And the old saying, if I had a dollar for every time, if I had a dollar for every time that someone told me like, oh, I, I, the camera, I double punched and didn't get the shot on camera or he walked just out of frame when I shot. I mean, that happens all the time when you're self-filming. Um, again, it, it goes back to your priorities, right? If, if, if you're truly setting out to get the best quality video possible and do something at a high level with it, you can't let that happen. You just have to be willing to let the buck get away if the video is not there. But the guys that are doing it just for the, the video and just to keep it fun and, and document it, uh, that happens all the time. And if, if there's a day that you don't take the camera with you, it's almost guaranteed you're going to kill a buck that day. It's just that it's <laughs> almost always works out that way. It's, it's yeah. just kind of funny. But um, again, there's, there's just people do it on so many different levels. And uh, that's, that's something important to realize early on. Yeah, I, I've when when I first started thinking about filming and and watching you guys and others, just kind of seeing what they would do, you know, I, I get a couple of buck encounters a year, you know, maybe a handful, two, three, four, something like that, and yeah. I'm watching you guys go out and have encounter after encounter after encounter after encounter before it happens, and, and I didn't realize, wow, it, when you bring a camera along, you're your odds of sealing the deal, especially if you're only getting limited encounters, you know, three or four a season, your odds of sealing the deal are, are very, very slim. Uh, yeah. Very, very slim. So I, I want to jump into this piece of, um, of equipment because I, I think that's where a lot of guys' minds start. And uh, it's probably a lot less about equipment and a lot more about how you use the equipment that you have. Um, but let's jump into the equipment piece first. So we've got uh, two broad spec or two ends of the spectrum, let's say. We've got the guy who says, I want to get into this to share with my family and friends. And then we've got the other end of the guy who says, hey, I want to film and I want to submit this to a show or to, to try to get picked up by them, or I want to even start my own show. Where are you going to point these two different ends of the spectrum when it comes to, uh, you know, getting them in the woods um, to film their hunts and, and, and be happy with their end product? Yeah. <clears throat> so I agree with you on the, on the two ends of the spectrum. Sometimes they end up in the same spot, like the, you know, the person that's just going out to share with family and friends and just do it on minimal level that can develop into wanting to do it at a high level, even if it's not for a show. Like sometimes it's just the experience of sharing with family and friends, a really cool video, high quality video is better than, well, the deer's over here. You can't see him when I shoot, shoot, but you know, it was there like that kind of happens naturally. It did for me. Um, mm -hmm. but the first thing I always ask people, no matter what reason they're getting into it is after the reason why they're getting into it would be their budget. That dictates a lot of the equipment because you can spend in today's world technology, you can spend a lot of money. Um, it adds up pretty quick when you start talking about, you know, the camera, the mics, the, the, camera arm and base, uh, the fluid head, there's a lot of a, a lot of equipment that you need to invest in if you want to, to do it right. And it, it makes it easier if you're self-filming to have quality gear that your camera's sitting on, a quality fluid head that that's nice and smooth and is easy to pan around if you're by yourself. Um, a solid camera arm and base that keeps your camera from wobbling around too much if you have it extended out too far things like that. So really decide on your budget first. Um, you know, from a production standpoint, there's a lot of really 
pretty affordable cameras that have come down in price a lot that have some pretty cool features. Like even the ones that are filming in 4K, you can get a good 4K camera now for under a thousand dollars. And the 4K is nice because if you're self filming and uh, you're wanting to produce a video or make a video out of it, you know, you're self filming. You want to. It's nice to be able to have the video zoomed out a little bit um, to cover that deer moving left or right before the shot. And so 4K allows you to have a higher resolution that you can scale up in post-production and make it look a little bit better. Whereas if you're filming only in uh, HD quality, you're not going to have as much scalability there and the deer's going to look a lot smaller on the screen if you have it zoomed out. So that's one thing you, you see that a lot with self filmers is maybe they're zoomed in on a deer when it's out there a ways, but when it comes time for the shot, especially if you're bow hunting, when it comes time for the shot, you'll see a lot of guys zoom way out to keep the deer in frame and having that 4k backup in that situation is nice. Um, having a good quality onboard mic is I think important for, um, for both scenarios. Um, I would recommend for a guy that's trying to do the higher level, look for a good shotgun microphone to put on there and you can get a quality one for two or $300. Um, for in most cases you can spend a lot more as well, but a couple hundred bucks, a couple hundred bucks can get you a good quality shotgun microphone. And those are really nice for being able to just hear what's going on in the woods. I think part of the enjoyment when you're watching back a video is just taking in all the sounds of it in addition to the sight that helps you put or helps put you in that spot. You know, a person viewing it feels more like they're a part of the hunt if the audio quality is really high. So don't overlook the audio portion of your equipment as well. Um, so it's kind of, I guess that covers a little bit more of the end of the spectrum for the guy that's wanting to do it at a higher quality level. On a lower quality level, I mean, they make little mounts for your for your iPhone, for your cell phone that have a little tiny pan heads on them, you know, 30, 40 bucks that screw into the tree and have a little panning head with a mount for your phone. And that's probably the very basic level. If you just want to have something just documented at the most basic level, I think you could do that. Um, the other option would be the bow-mounted options like Tacacam. I think Garmin makes maybe makes one there's there's ways to mount gopros um on your bow so that that'd be maybe the next step up is just to have a static camera um mounted to your bow or you know some of those you can also mount in the tree um as well so that's that's probably that covers i guess that end of the spectrum that we we're talking about for the guy that just wants to have some decent video to take home and, and share with family and friends yeah, and with, and with your iPhone, you've got the ability these days to film in 4K, so you can be a little more zoomed out, right. scale that up if you if you do want to try to try to try to make something a little better with your um with your video, and you can actually get some decent, you know, shotgun mics for your right, for your exactly. cell phone these days too. So I mean, you can you can really scale up, um, you know, start simple and scale up as you decide. Hey, this is something that's for me, um. You know, because I think a lot of guys jump into this, they buy all the equipment and you go to an online forum and it's like, you know, gear dumps all over the place where guys spent yeah. two grand on camera gear. And now they're trying to get rid of it for 750 bucks. Yeah, I think that's a very, very good point. I think keeping keeping your investment 
minimal in the beginning until you decide why you're doing it or what, you know, what it's truly like, because it does again, become a different sport when you bring a camera to the woods and, uh, you know, it's not certainly not for everybody. I hear people all the time, you know, guys that, that encounter a lot of big deer and kill a lot of big deer. You know, those guys sometimes get asked like, why don't you film your hunt? And they, they'll just, their answer is always no. I don't even want to mess with it. I don't want to do it, and I do not blame those guys one bit. I mean, I think it's <laughs> it's a very common scenario in yeah. those days where I wish I didn't have a camera at, at times when when things don't go right. But um, yeah, experiencing experiencing it at least a little bit before you go crazy on the investment side is a very very good point. Yeah. So let's say you got a guy who um, is let's say they're they're ready to dive into this. They're ready to jump in. Maybe they say, I, I don't want to just use my phone. I want to go at a little higher level. Um, but obviously for everyone, budget is limited. Where are you going to mm-hmm. encourage people to kind of drop the bulk of their money? So uh, if I'm equating it to something like fly fishing, like you know, guys who fly fish a lot will tell you, high quality line, get a decent rod, you can skimp on the reel. You know, if you're fly fishing mm-hmm. for trout, let's say. Um, where are you going to tell guys? Because as I looked around, so this past year, uh, I got a, uh, a camera arm for myself and I went as cheap as possible, not, not as cheap as possible. I went on the lower end of camera mounts because man, you can, you can drop a thousand dollars on a, mm-hmm. on a camera arm with a nice fluid head in a hurry. Um, so I went on the, the lower end, I, I guess you could say. And I have regretted that ever since with, you know, carrying around this big heavy base and, and that kind of thing. So where would you recommend guys drop the money? Would it be on the camera? Would it be on the mic? Would it be on the fluid head, the camera arm? That's a tough, tough question um, because of, unfortunately I've experienced some of the lower quality stuff and there's there's just frustration with those. Um, but, you know, it's, it, they all work hand in hand so much, which is why it makes a tough question. Cause you, it, let's say you have a really nice camera, but you skimp on the fluid head. Well, then you've got this nice camera that's all jerky and nothing smooth about it. And then it's like, well, what's the point of having a nice camera? The footage is still shaky because my mouth is not good. Um, so it's very tough. I, I would say there's at least a minimum level that I would recommend for almost all those things, the camera arm and base, the fluid head, the camera and the microphone, those, those four aspects of it. Um, I would say there's at least a minimum level that I would go. Otherwise they just won't work well together. And there's basically, you get one weak link of the, in, in that chain of four things and it's going to affect the quality of the others around it. So you don't have to go high end on any of them. Yeah, I would I would recommend going middle of the road or a little bit below middle of the road on all of them and not high level on one and low level on the others, if that makes sense. Yeah, okay. So try to keep it kind of consistent across the board, you know, with your budget maybe balance, divide yeah. it up, balance it as well as you can. Yeah, I think that's probably the, the route I would go again just because just because those four things affect each other in a pretty pretty impactful way. Yeah. Well, let's, let's jump away from the equipment piece. Now I think we've covered that pretty well. Um, I'd like to hear a little bit about maybe some general tips for when a person is out in the field, because, um, you know, I I know for myself personally, just, just getting into this world, 
there was a lot that I didn't experience, right? We, we talked about that. Everybody's got a plan until you get punched in the face. Well, I got punched in the face a lot this year because of my camera equipment. Um, and it was, you know, setting it up in the dark or setting it up when it's hot and I'm sweaty and I'm hanging off the side of a tree, mm-hmm. you know, that just a, a lot of, um, what was like unintentional, unintentional or unexpected adversity <laughs> because of my, yeah. of my camera gear. So, um, maybe go through some tips as to like, you know, once you get things, helping yourself get set up, once you get things set up, like, how are you, how are you trying to produce a quality film? How do you capture more of what's going on so that you can share more mm-hmm. with your family? Just general, general stuff like that. Yeah. So first and foremost, I would practice with your setup prior to even getting in the woods. There's a couple of things you can do just in your backyard or, or at, at home. Um, one would be packing your bag. The process of packing your bag is, is important. So, you know, where all the components are, figure out how your camera arm base comfortably fits, whether that's strapping it to the outside or having it being inside the pack itself, where you're putting your camera. So this is not getting beat up. Is it inside a case or does your, your pack that you're using have some good protection where you put in the accessories like the mic, or if you're using a, a Vera zoom remote to control the camera, where you putting that stuff, just being as organized as possible with your packing process. Uh, will save you some headache in the woods so you're not fumbling around looking for things. You're adding a bunch of time to your setup because that, that's one thing that people may not realize is that if, if you normally get into the stand you know, at a certain time, you better add a good half hour minimum if you're also going to be setting up camera equipment. Yep. Yep. Um, so being efficient with that from the packing and unpacking process, I think is what I would start with because that's an easy thing to do before you even get in the field. Figure out what your routine is going to be and um, make sure that's nailed down before you even get in the woods. And then the, the second thing you can practice before you get in the woods, again, just like in a, on, a, on a tree in your backyard, would be that the physical setting up of the camera on the camera arm and base. Um, I, I tell this, same thing to people that are wanting to get into like hanging hunts and uh, or hanging a cameraman stand. You know, practice that stuff. Get that system down, that routine down in your backyard, and it's just going to translate so much better and save you a lot of time and, and headache uh, when you get in the woods. Because uh, camera arm placement when you're filming, especially self filming, is very important. You may not realize it, but you need to have it in a spot that's comfortable for you to film, but it's not going to inhibit any shots. You, know, you need to be able to shoot over it if you have to. Let's say I, I always set up, if I'm self-filming, I set the camera arm and base on my right side so that if I'm holding my bow, I shoot my bow right-handed, so I hold it with my left hand. So if I'm holding my left hand or my bow in my left hand, I still have my right hand to operate the camera until the moment of the shot, and I could clip on the string and draw back. But being very comfortable there, you can't have it too high, otherwise you won't be able to shoot into it or you'll bump into it when you when you come to full draw. can't have it too low to where you're too far from the, the LCD screen. You can't see what's going on. You can't see what's in focus um, or what's in the frame. So there's, there's definitely a sweet spot there. For most camera arms, I recommend starting with a base at about waist level when you're standing. Um, that's kind of assuming you're going to be shooting standing up. If you're going to be shooting sitting down and not playing stand at all, you'll want to go a little bit lower. But for me, that putting that camera arm base on the tree right about waist level when I'm standing up is a good starting point. 
um, because I can still, if need need be, if I need to shoot off to the right, I can still shoot over the camera arm. Um, and again, there's a lot that can go wrong when you're filming. So thinking through those types of things, you know, not having shots being inhibited by the camera arm is uh, is an important one. You want to eliminate everything you can that's within your control. So you know, practicing with that stuff before you get in the field is, is very important. Um, one thing you mentioned like how do you make that experience even better for a viewer whether it's on a show or you know just your family and friends is think about when you're in the woods think about everything that you're taking in as a hunter as an outdoorsman you know take a pan of the the entire surrounding area you know film squirrels running around below you film birds flying up above like all this all that stuff seems kind of silly and, and, you know, maybe overlooked, but it's all part of the experience of being out there. It's going to, it's going to make it so much more enjoyable to watch if they see all those things. Of course you film all the obvious stuff with the deer and uh, the unique encounters, but don't forget the basic stuff. Even turning the camera on while you're walking to the stand uh, is important or while you're climbing the stand, if you can get a shot with a GoPro of that. When we're, when we do it obviously at a professional level, we never, almost never stop filming something. It may be as simple as a leaf blown in the wind. Um, but we know how all those little details, all that supporting B roll helps the viewer experience it. And most of the time, the viewer doesn't know. When they watch a really good video, they don't know why it was good. All they can tell you is, man, that was really good. That was mm. cool to watch. That was a high quality video. Yep but they don't know why it's just, it's visually appealing. And we as producers know, we know it's because we used all that supporting footage. We know because we made it flow this way or that way. And we included all these little storytelling details because it, it, at the end of the day, we're, we're all storytellers, whether we're doing it for family and friends or at a professional level where we're at the core, we're storytellers of our experiences in the woods. And so if you're telling someone a story, I mean, let's say you're, you're going to tell a buddy a story just just through talking, not showing them anything. You know, look, the guys that we know that are really good storytellers don't leave out any details. And that's the same thing with if you're trying to storytell through the lens of the camera. Don't leave out any details. Just constantly be, be recording stuff. So look around. What are you taking in as an outdoorsman that helps you? That What do you love about the experience? Film that type of stuff. Um, it may it may seem silly. It may you may forget about it at first, but it truly does all add to the quality of that video, whether you're doing it professional or um, at an amateur level. Yeah, and I one lesson that I learned too is is that whole piece of I I can't go back and recreate something, and it's it's free mm-hmm. to have that camera rolling, uh, assuming that I've got a sufficient amount of battery and SD card space, right? Right, right. It's it's free, and and I, it, it's much harder to go back and fill in those pieces and say, hey guys, watch this really awesome video, and then I'm gonna pause it right here and tell you about this other stuff that I didn't catch, and now we can keep right. watching it because you know the story is moving on. Yeah, and storage is very cheap these days. I mean, you can get a 128 gigabyte SD card for your camera for not much more than you know a 32 gigabyte card so you might as well film it all and you can delete it later if you decide like oh this wasn't a good shot or i don't need it you can always delete it later it's not 
we're not recording the tapes or something, anything like that anymore. So there's no reason not to film it. Like you said, the battery would be the only thing, but um, just make sure you have plenty of extra batteries for, for that type of stuff. Yeah. Let, let's talk a little bit about, uh, about framing, if you would. Um, both framing sort of, you know, deer as they're moving in. I mean, creatures that move are, can be kind of tough to keep in frame. Um, but then also that, that B-roll, like setting up the right shot for the lighting and, and to really um, capture the way that you're experiencing it and taking it in right there in the moment. Yeah. So I can start with, I'll start with the deer first and then dive into the rest of it. The deer framing, so <clears throat> we always like to use the rule of thirds. And basically, if you're not familiar with that, it's just if you take a rectangle, like a 16 by 9 rectangle, which is what a lot of and videos are uh, outputted as, you draw two vertical lines on each third. And so you have basically three sections of video or three sections in, within that rectangle. And keeping a deer on one of those third lines is what we try to do as much as possible. So, like, if you're looking at the rectangle and the deer is facing to the right, we want to keep him on the left third. <clears throat> and the reason for that is because, um, you know, if the deer is facing to the right and he's walking that way, you don't want him to move too fast and he gets out of the frame. You want to leave him a little bit of headway there. Um, in the direction he's walking. So if a deer's walking to the right, you're going to leave some room in front of them to the right, if, if that makes sense. So yep. Yep. we try to frame everything up. That's especially important for the shot. So if you're self-filming and you stop a deer and you're framing him up, you definitely want to leave room to the right of that deer because as soon as you know, as soon as he shoots, or as soon as, the, as, soon as you shoot, he's going to bolt. Most of the time to the right, you know, of course there's cases where they wheel around and go the other direction, but you have to just set your camera up for what they're most likely to do after the shot. And that's bolt to the right. And so you want to leave them some room so they're not immediately going out of frame. But once they leave the frame, it gets harder to find them back. But if they're still in the frame and running, it's easier to uh, follow them and move the camera with them. If you can still see them, once they get out of that viewfinder, it, it gets hard to find them back. Um, so leaving some room for them to run and it's just visually appealing. Even if we're filming an interview, we always try to frame a guy up on either the left or right, uh, third of the frame. Um, with regards to B roll, we try to get a little bit of everything as far as being, uh, zoomed out and a wide shot and then a tight shot. So most of the time, if it's like a scenic shot, a pan of the area, a pan of the field, a pan of a bunch of deer in the field. You know, we, obviously that's the type of stuff you want pretty wide. Um, if it's a leaf blowing, you know, just kind of hanging on a little branch blowing, that's something you can be really tight to. Um, one thing not to forget too, this is a little, little bit unrelated to the framing, but get shots. If you're by yourself still self-filming, get shots of yourself in the tree, whether that's you glassing with your binos or, you know, drawing back your bow or just sitting there looking. That's all part of the storytelling process too. Um, you know, it's sometimes easier to get with like a GoPro or something, but you can still get it with your camera too. Um, just don't 
don't not include shots of yourself as the hunter because those are good one they're good little fillers for as you're putting the video together but also it's just part of the the viewing experience for the end user you know they, they want to see what you're doing in the tree and it just it adds a little bit more realism to the hunt uh, seeing what the hunter's doing during different situations um, so yeah the, the framing on the on the supporting footage kind of varies we kind of do a little bit of everything as far as tight shots um, wide shots Try, try to keep everything smooth. Try to at least get, like, if it's a shot of, let's say, a leaf blowing in the wind, we'll at least run that camera, record that camera for a good 10 to 15 seconds of that leaf blowing. You know, don't just turn your camera on and turn it off. Leave yourself some room to work with when you're putting that final video together. Um, just uh, sometimes you can use it in different spots. So, again, we talked about the storage being very cheap these days. Don't don't skimp on the amount of time you're letting the camera roll either. Yeah, that's really good. That's really good. I, um, I've tried that a bit this past year, you know, getting some B roll. And, and that's one of the things I noticed a tendency of mine was to, you know, if I'm going to capture this, it's like, boy, you panned that way too fast. Or you you started recording this thing and you gave yourself four seconds of it. And then, you know, it's really hard to hard to work with that afterwards when you're trying to kind of put things back together. And so I'd like to jump in and talk a little bit about the, the back room side of things, right? Like you get all of this great footage. It, it really does, you no good if you throw it on your computer and you can't find it. And it really does, mm-hmm. you no good if you don't take it home and put it all back together in something that's good to share with folks. Can you speak to that editing piece a bit? And like maybe what you'd recommend for somebody who just isn't familiar with the editing world, maybe something that they can do to kind of just piece it all together to be able to share it? Yeah. The first thing I would say is with regards to your organization and um, your backing up of the files themselves, I would recommend getting a, you can get a a very reasonable hard drive for definitely less than a hundred dollars to keep all your footage on and keep it labeled. We, we label ours according to the date of the hunt. And then within that, because we're always running multiple cameras, we have a folder for each camera within each each hunt. But we talk about having this documented forever to relive. You can only relive it if it's there. So if something happens to your footage or drive, uh, everything we're talking about does you no good. I mean, you, we, we completely eliminate the entire reason most of us film if you're not going to be diligent about backing up your footage. So, Maybe you have it on your computer and you have it on a second drive. Have two copies of it because you know, that's technology. Things can go wrong. Hard drives can go bad. They can crash. They can get accidentally deleted, whatever. Um, so make sure you're diligent about backing up your footage. Uh, even, again, if it's just for your own documentation, you don't want to lose that stuff. It's not stuff you can get back or recreate. Yep. So that'd be the first thing is, be diligent about backing up your footage and, and organizing it and taking it off of the camera itself when you get home. Uh, the second thing with regards to putting it together, it doesn't have to be a crazy high quality level. I don't want guys to shy away from this because you're like, Oh man, I'm not, there's no, I don't have time to edit videos. I don't have time to learn how to be a video editor. There's a very basic level. You can do that. There's free programs. A lot of times, your computer has free pro programs, whether it's a 
you know, Windows Movie Maker or uh, iMovie. It's there's very free, basic, easy to use programs out there that you can simply just lay the clips in a timeline and not do any crazy editing to it, but it at least is going to flow together and you export it into one video. Uh, because you don't want to, if you're showing your family and friends, you don't want to be clicking into each different clip and be like, oh, well, look at this, you know, pan of the field. And then you close that clip and you're going to open another one to show them the first deer that came out. You want it to be a, a, a watchable video, one single video that kind of flows together. So, and there's so many resources out there to learn very basic editing, you know, whether it's YouTube or there's Linda tutorials or Adobe is the program we use a lot. Um, software use, we use a lot for everything we do. Adobe has its own tutorials. Um, just learn, learn the basics of editing. It won't, it doesn't take that long to learn it. And it doesn't take that long to do it. I think once you learn it, you can put together a pretty solid hunt within a couple hours. Um, so there's a very basic level to, to do video editing to at least make it enjoyable to watch. Um, and it can always grow from there. Just just don't be intimidated by the initial process of putting together a video. It's a very, very simple thing for anybody to do. Yeah, that piece has always seemed a bit overwhelming to me, that, that video editing piece. Yeah. And, and you can get into some tools that do become really complicated, you know, when you're taking out the audio Absolutely. and putting it over different pieces of video <clears throat> and trying to line things back up. Like it it can be pretty difficult or like you said, it can be pretty just as simple as throwing something. Uh, you know, I, I use a, I use a, a MacBook air. And so just throw that thing into, into iMovie, get all your clips lined up together. And, uh, you can even drop in a couple of transitions that are really simple to do, um, and have something watchable pretty quickly. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, that's important just for people to know that there is a way to do it at a very basic level. Don't, don't shy away from filming just because you don't think you can put the video together. And again, people, there's people out there you can pay if you wanted to have it put together at a higher level, you could pay them or, you know, you could invest more time into learning how to do it. Uh, but like anything, you don't have, there's, there's a, there's an easy way to do it if, if you don't have a lot of time to commit to it. Yeah. I, I think there's, there's one more piece that, that I would like to, to dive into that is, pretty closely related to filming your hunt, um, but not necessarily one and the same. And that is um, staying cool in that uh, sort of under pressure in that moment. So uh, I had a buck last year came in and came in really quickly and I didn't bother to get the camera turned around on him because, Hey, my why for hunting is to be able to share it. And if the video works out great, but I'm going to get that shot, I'm going to prioritize that shot. Uh, just for where I'm at, right? Because it's only my family and friends that are going to see this video. Um, and, and that was a, in that moment, there is this kind of internal freak out that takes over, right? The buck fever uh, gets going and um, you kind of lose sight of everything else. And that's something that I've seen you um, not give into year after year after year, as I've watched you on Midwest Whitetail. In fact, uh, I guess it was it 2019 or 2020 uh, you shot a buck from the ground in the snow. Yeah. 2020, 2020. Okay. So 2020, you shot a buck from the ground in the snow and just an amazing encounter. I mean, how far was that shot? 
like 24 yards, I 20, believe. 24 yards. So the thing was pretty yeah. close, and you had watched him from how far away? Oh, man, probably 100 and, I don't know, close to 150 yards probably when we first saw him. Yeah, so he was, yeah. So you laid eyes on him for a long time before you got that shot. So there's a lot of time for you to freak out. Uh, internally and kind of lose it and fall yeah. apart. Can can you tell me a bit about or or maybe just share some some tips or maybe just from your experience how to stay cool under pressure? Like how how do you stay calm or or manage the nerves in that moment of truth? Yeah, that's, that's a very good question, and unfortunately, it's not one that I think there's a blanket answer to or a you know a, a secret to. There's there's a few different things I think guys can do, <clears throat> but part of it's also personality um, related. In my opinion, I have a pretty reserved personality. I don't get too high, too low about stuff, and I think that translates over to that moment of truth. But there's other little things that you can think about, and it, and part of it is just being prepared for those types of things. And so, if you even as, as much as shooting your bow, like if, if you are relaxed with regards to shooting your bow, you're confident you're going to make the shot, you're more likely to not fight that buck fever. And you may not think about that being related, but let's say, you know, when you're shooting your bow, you're constantly thinking about little technical things. Am I anchored in the right spot? At, you know, am I looking at the right pin? Is, um, am I you know, squeezing the trigger? That type of stuff the more you have going on in your head, the more you're going to freak out. So even being really confident with, with your bow, maybe there's something that you tell yourself, uh, just a little mantra in your head or something that keeps you relaxed and focused on the task at hand. Um, some of the other guys, uh, I think this is a little bit me, but not completely, but some of the other guys that I know that stay calm and seem to always get it done. They basically go into this, this kill mode. Like you have, a job to do. There's this deer coming in and your job is to put a good shot on it. And they just go into kill mode. That's all they're focused on. They're not focused on oh, what's going to happen if I don't stop this deer in the right spot or what's going to happen. Do I need to aim high or low? Is it going to drop? Eliminate those, eliminate those things that uh, just add to the pressure. You know, stay in the moment. Stay focused on the task at hand. Um, I think will really help. The other thing that really helps, because again, it's, it's how many times have you been in this situation? The more times you've been in it, the, the more likely you are to not freak out. And one overlooked thing that I try to do every year is shoot those early on. Um, because it's, it's shooting at a living animal, seeing that arrow go where it's supposed to, behind the deer's shoulder. Um, it's such a big confidence booster. And yep. the more confidence you can gain, and, and it's a, it's a little bit of a thing you have to rebuild every year. You have to rebuild that confidence. But early on, I try to shoot those opening day. I want to see, I want to see that arrow going where I want the deer going. You know, the deer going down because I made a really good shot. And so when when I get that encounter with a buck, you know, a, a few weeks later, whenever it is. I've already seen it happen a number of times. I've already seen myself execute a really good shot, put an animal down, and that's my job. Like, I'm very confident that I can get the job done at that point because I've been doing it for a few weeks now on, on those. So don't overlook that aspect either. You know, some people, 
some people say, well, I, I just freak out. I get buck fever so bad because I've never shot. I haven't shot that many bucks in my life or I haven't shot very many big bucks in my life. It doesn't have to be bucks. It's, 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 it's shooting deer in general, being, being a well-placed arrow, uh, being very well executed. It just builds your confidence so much. And the confidence, I think, is a direct relation to how you can stay cool in the moment of truth. So. I think those are, are some of the things that I would I would speak to as far as how I stay calm. It's it's funny, I think I probably appear more calm than I am at least after the shot. You know, I some people heckle me for they think that I you know, don't get excited or don't enjoy it or whatever. It's it's more that it's on the inside of you know, it's there's a lot of excitement that I may not show outwardly, but it's uh it's, I think it's all a mentality thing it, it, it truly is and there's little things you can help build that mentality and, and keeping your head in the right place at that time yep yep yeah i've i've noticed you and uh, another you know former midwest whitetail guy greg clements uh mm-hmm. both you guys after the shot just seem so composed and uh yeah I, i'm kind of yeah, anything greg, but composed yeah greg is uh, greg you know he and i have similar personalities from the standpoint of being reserved and not getting too worked up about, about anything. And again, sometimes it's, it's that maybe we don't show it um, as much. So it appears like we don't get worked up, but I, I think that's kind of the, where the personality thing comes in a little bit because I said, Greg and I <clears throat> know each other for, for a long time, but we have similar personalities from that standpoint. And I think it translates over to the deer woods. Yeah, very good. Well, hopefully some guys can can pick up on that. I know that I've got a, a few things to keep in my back pocket now when it comes, uh, hopefully, when I get that moment uh, next year, get that opportunity uh, on a deer. So, well, uh, Jared, what can we expect coming up from Midwest Whitetail? Uh, we're recording this third week of March or so. So there's some, there's some turkey stuff coming up, I'm sure. There's some off-season stuff, I'm sure. So, what can we expect from Midwest Whitetail in the months ahead? Yeah, so this is a fun time of year. This is this is truly what I've become to love almost more than the hunting side of it is just the work, the off season work. So we're we're gonna be busy with that now that the weather's finally breaking, the snow's melted. Um, I've got some some new properties to scout and learn and stands to tang and all that but you know of course shed hunting we're getting a little bit towards the end of that we just released a, a pretty jam-packed shed episode yesterday that you guys can check out um, but now we'll be moving on to off-season stuff We've got a couple of turkey hunts lined up but our, our team this year is producing a new turkey series called chasing red uh, so that'll be kind of fun we've never never had our own turkey series I guess it's been a long time since we've had our own turkey series. We produce some for other companies. Uh, Real Tree Spring Thunder is one we've produced for a few years. Um, but Chasing Red is kind of our own thing. We're working with um, Andy Melton and David Williams, two former middle Whitetail guys that are absolutely ate up with turkey hunting and some of the, some of the better turkey hunters that I know as far as being knowledgeable and this chasing red is going to model middle Whitetail a lot with regards to being entertaining, but also having an educational aspect to it and the storytelling aspect and all that. So, um, Max Mongrello, one of our full-time guys is going to be on that one. Uh, he'll be mostly producing that series and, and hunting for it. 
Uh, one of our other guys, Chad Holmes, is also going to be involved. So it's going to be a fun little spring project, um, something we haven't done in the past that I'm excited to, to see how it does. And I, I won't be a huge part of it other than on the back end, just kind of having an, an oversight role. Uh, so I'm just going to be like the viewers. I'm excited to, to watch every hunt as it comes out. So that'll be fun, and you know, as we start rolling into the summer, it'll be fun to start finding some of these bucks back and start the story process all over again. That's, that's one of our favorite things to do is to really continue the stories of chasing individual deer, and uh, that's the time of year that we really get going on that. Yeah, any specific story that you're looking forward to picking up from last season? So it's a... Uh, it's going to be one of those. I have a couple of deer that I have some history with that I'll, I'll be looking to find back. But for the most part, I, I had a lot of deer get killed last fall um, by other hunters. So it's going to be one of those years where I don't necessarily know what's going to show up. And there's definitely some excitement to that. I have a couple of new properties uh, that I've been working to get access to. And so anytime you have a new property, there's that excitement of the unknown, like what what's on it. You know, it's first, those first few trail camera card pulls are going to be even more exciting than they than they normally are because you don't know what to expect. So it'll be kind of a fun season for myself from that standpoint of not really knowing, um, working hard to try to find some deer that I didn't know about to try to chase. Uh, just because last year was um, a little bit of a unique year from the standpoint of almost every deer that I had to chase got killed by you know gun hunters or whatever. So kind of starting fresh, but there's, there's a certain level of excitement that comes along with that. Very good. Where, where would you send folks if they want to keep up with you and the rest of the Midwest whitetail crew, uh, throughout the summer and fall? Yeah. So we're on a lot of different platforms. Um, some of the main spots that people like to follow us are on the midwestwhitetail.com website. We're going to have a new website coming out here, hopefully soon when I can allocate a little more time to finishing that up. Uh, YouTube, of course, we have multiple channels from the main Middle Slightail channel to Middle Slightail Daily channel and the Middle Slightail Regional channel, which is a lot of our our regional guys spread out across the country that do a very good job for us as well. Um, and then we also are on you know some of the other platforms that that people like to follow and watch along on Realtree three sixty five and um, Waypoint TV. Uh, a lot of different places you can find us. It just depends where you personally like to watch the video. Yeah, you guys are kind of all over the place. We are. It's, uh, it, it seems like everyone, you can't really force people to watch videos where you want them to is what we've learned. So we just kind of need to be where they like to watch videos. And that's kind of the reason we're spread out a little bit. Yep, you guys have done a good job with that. Well, Jared, thanks for your time today. I really appreciate it. Uh, hopefully our listeners have picked up quite a bit. Uh, on the self-filming front, and uh, hey, maybe we'll, we can do this again soon. Uh, I appreciate it, the opportunity, Josh, and absolutely, I'd be happy to hop on anytime. Uh, good luck to you this off season, and, and stay in touch. Yep, we'll do. Thanks, Jared. Thanks, Josh. Thanks for listening to today's episode. You can find more outdoor-themed podcasts at sportsmansnation.com on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else you download your podcasts.